0: Hello, people of the internet. My name is Jordan. The PH is silent. And welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. I am uh, joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian Gaming. Hello, Mr. Lucian. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back. Saturday morning. Thank you for joining us on our um, wonderful Saturday morning. I should probably open up the chat so I can see what's going on there. But, yeah. So, we had, like, a big episode last week... And it was awesome, and we had Mr. Matt Colville here. And now I'm just like, what are we going to talk about this week? <laughs> like, right. it's really difficult to like top ourselves. So, how do we um, follow that up? Kind of like a, a, like a more casual episode, I think, of Saturday Morning D and D show. We'll kind of talk about the games we've been playing throughout the week. I started a new game on um, Saver Dice, call a new game called Fury. Um, And I know Sir Lucian's been busy this week, so let's just dive right into it. What have you been doing with games this week, Mr. Lucian?
1: Yeah, so uh, in between moving buckets of water out of my basement as I was one of those people that got flooded. So that's (laughs) been a little bit of what's going on. But I was able to manage to still get in uh, Storm King's Thunder on Monday night, which was really good. Our team is beginning to move northward. And they are chasing kind of a side quest called the Weevil, which is this evil little dwarf that uh, they want to bring in for a bounty. And something super funny happened in that. uh, To me, when I prepped that little side quest, it was, hey, go find, it's a wanted poster. Go find this guy. You get 5,000 gold pieces if you bring him to the constable type thing, right? Mm -hmm. So all they got to do is go to the small place, find this dwarf, capture him, take him off. And I thought, okay, so we'll see how that goes. I never in a million years thought that they were going to try to break into a keep, get caught, try <laughs> to lie their way out. Half of them are inside the keep jail. Half of them are on the outside running. It went completely off the rails when they came up with this crazy plan to try to sneak into the keep for no reason. The, the guy they're looking for wasn't in the keep. <laughs> he was somewhere else. They hadn't even done an investigation to find where he was at. So, it was super funny. Um, I'm going to have to deal with that common trope I think that a lot of us DMs deal with is what happens when your characters are in jail, right? Because some people start their campaign off with your characters are in jail or Excuse me. sometimes they'll, they'll do it just as an adventure. You, you get put in jail and now you got to find your way out. So it happens in a lot of campaigns. It's the first time it's happening in my campaign. So I'm going to have to see how they handle half of their group is imprisoned at the moment and the other half is outside trying to figure out what to do and they can't communicate with each other. So it's going to be very interesting the next couple Monday sessions to see what they do with this. And I have no idea because I had no idea they would try to break into the keep that has 150 soldiers in it Mm -hmm. and get caught. It was just the funniest thing. So that was really good. What percentage Um,
0: of the way through storm King's thunder do you think you are?
1: We are currently, uh, they're broken up into chapters and we are now moving into the halfway point for sure. Oh, okay. Um, wow. And it's we're past. We're just about past the open world portion, and it's about to really get okay. Start following the quest line almost on a rail a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're at the end of that portion. So during chapters three and four is this open world portion of Storm King's Thunder, and this isn't really giving it away for anybody that still wants to play. Because if if you're not the GM, you don't know what I mean by where yeah. the chapters are. But uh, three and four are kind of the open world portion of it. And then after that, um, depending on which way you go, you go into either six, seven, eight, or nine. But you don't have to do all of them. You just pick one of them. You go down that route, and then that brings you to some of the final scenes and stuff. Okay. So they're on that portion of which one are they going to choose, six, seven, eight, or nine. And then the the storyline will will go off of that. So What's the level range? Like They say... Start at one,
0: obviously, but...
1: Yeah, yeah. They say uh, 1 to 12 plus. Really? Okay. Yep. My characters are at 7. Wow. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we went from 1 to 7. It's also, if that module, if you're interested in running it uh, as a GM, it actually is a 5 to 12 module, but they give you a good first section that you can say, if you want to run it from first level, you can, and here's all the stuff that you can do to do that. Um, but it is meant to kind of be a 5th to 12th um, because you're fighting giants, right? I mean, you're fighting dudes that are strength 24, plus 9 to hit. Damage is through the roof. 31, 41 points on average of damage from a rock, you know? So (laughs) your characters have to be pretty tough to go through a Storm King's Thunder adventure, but it's been good and it's been fun so far, so. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, Tomb Annihilation is on hiatus. That's my Tuesday night game. Unfortunately, PB, my a uh, great friend who plays in a lot of That's our right. games. You know PB quite a bit, and she's in my Standard Array show as my co-host. Um, her laptop died, and normally, you know, that happens to a lot of people, but she's also just now getting recovered from when the uh, big storm, the hurricane, hit Houston. And so all their money has gone into fixing their house that had four feet of water in it. So now all of a sudden her laptop has died, and so now she's working to get that up and running. But we're trying to help her out, and we're going to try to get her back up and in the shows. So two annihilations on hiatus until she's back because we just, we only have three players for that, so we don't want to move forward without her. Um, she's like the heart and soul of our team anyways. Uh, <laughs> Borderlands Thursday, this is the week off. Our players play three weeks, and we skip a week just because of scheduling. So that's like a three-week game. Um, that'll start up again this coming up week. And then Standard Array, I did the this, this session solo, and I recorded a session about how to run a game if you're going to be running it at a convention. Some things to think yeah. about and some things to do because I've been doing that in the last couple of years, and I thought it might be something that people would be interested in watching.
0: Yeah, no, so. and I caught that, um, and there was a lot of a lot of great information in there because I never even thought about like running a game at a con or even like running something like Adventures League where you don't know the people and it's kind of you just sit down and try to go. Um, it's a little different than than hanging out with your friends. So
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's a good question in chat. Uh, did our group meet Harshnag? Yeah, they did meet Harshnag. Uh, they they followed, um, they've gone to uh, the Eye of the Allfather. I'll just say that without spoiling too much. They're done with that portion, and now they are adventuring without Harshnag, um, as he has stayed behind at this point. And then uh, Storm King's Thunder has been one of my favorite published 5e books for me so far, too. Although I'm hearing lots of good things about Tomb of Annihilation, yeah. and I'm playing it, but I think I want to run it. At some point because it sounds like it's super fun for players also um, so it might give it a run for its money but Storm King is really good so I agree with the chat it's on that. so
0: funny because I've been building like my homebrew game and stuff and we've been having a lot of fun with it but then I get these modules and I read them and uh, when we were at like a, a crossroads my players were saying well we should play Curse of Strahd And I was like semi-interested in Curse of Strahd. I was really interested in Storm King's Thunder, but I was a hard sell for them. They were kind of like, ah, giants, we don't really care. And I'm like, no, it's really good. But now now that you guys were just telling me, I didn't realize, and I feel bad because I've read Storm King's Thunder, but obviously I didn't read it close enough. But I didn't realize you could start at like level five because that might be, if they don't have to be level one characters again, they might be really interested in playing through it. And that could be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. It's a good module. I really like it. It's especially for a forgotten realms. Like I remember you saying you bought the book because it had a lot of good forgotten realms Mm -hmm. information in it. And it does. It has 250 locations kind of mapped out with two or three paragraphs of information plus encounters that you could do there Mm -hmm. in a great map. I mean, I love it. And it's on roll 20. So I have all the maps. I have all the tokens for all the creatures that are in it. It's just really good. So, and then the last thing, um, this is our this is the first uh, show of the month. So, on that, if I get any subscribers during today's uh, broadcast, I'm going to be contacting them, and I'm going to offer them a spot in a one shot that I'm going to DM in a D and D five e game one shot that will be filled with either subscribers or even subscribers and some of the players from the games that I'm in now. So, uh, if you want to win your chance into that, go ahead and hit that subscribe button in the, yeah. uh, and Twitch there. So well, how about you, Jordan? What was your week like?
0: Um, it was good. So, I uh, I was contacted a, a couple of months ago to do, um, a game, uh, Cody over from taking 20, he runs saver dice, which is on, on YouTube. They're on Twitch as well, but I think they stopped broadcasting on Twitch because they were getting better numbers on YouTube, uh, which is fine. Uh, it's wherever you go where your audience is, I guess. Um, yeah. but they run a fifth edition game on Wednesdays and they wanted to add more, more games. So we're, I'm part of a new Minera game on Mondays. Um, and we had our very first session last Monday and I was super, uh, super nervous. Cause like, I don't know the system of Numenera very well. Like I read it, but I really wanted to like play a couple games to get it under my feet before we went live with an audience. And I'm just like panicking, like, uh, um, luckily I was in the same boat. Cause I think everybody there, only the game master had played Numenera before. Um, And obviously he would have had to in order to run the game and he really likes the system, but it was, it was interesting. We all started on a boat and we're kind of headed to this like mysterious Island through this storm. So the the majority of the game was, we were on a boat um, doing to the fifth edition equivalent of skill checks. Like, it's kind of what it felt like, like uh, repair this this hole so that the ship doesn't sink, mend that sail, um, man overboard, try to help this guy get back on there. Um, I I asked if I could do some kind of like medicine check or might check to resuscitate somebody who had um, inhaled too much water. And mm-hmm. I ended up putting my my hand on his chest and like using a might roll, I like, which is the equivalent of a strength check. I like pushed all the water out of his chest and he got back up and started breathing, which was kind of fun. Um, I had a lot of fun. It was a lot of it was an interesting game. It's just a it's just a odd system when you've played nothing but D and D for a long long time. Um, yeah. And I was thinking about it that the game. So in my D&D games, we have skill challenges where I set um, a DC of like, I don't know, 12 or 13. And then I I say to my players, you need to get eight successes before three failures. And that's how they win the encounter. And so they go through their skills and they say, "Um, okay, I want to do acrobatics. And I'm like, okay, story-wise, how are you using acrobatics in this skill challenge? It's like, well, I'm going to um, throw a rope across and I'm going to like tightrope walk across this rope to get to the other side of the ravine or something. And I'm like, okay, that's a great acrobatics check. And they either succeed or they fail based on that. And then the whole party succeeds or fails based on whether they get eight or whether they get to three failures first. Numenera feel like the entire game of Numenera feels like that because even combat is you're just rolling a skill check for combat like combat is exactly the same as mending a sail or fishing somebody from across the the side of the boat and i thought that was really interesting mostly because dungeons and dragon has dungeons and dragons has trained me to have that jrpg kind of feel where it's like this is role playing aspect and this is using our skills and then the music changes, and we go you know da 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 and we start <laughs> playing um combat because combat is very different from from uh, just role playing and you kind of put those role play tools to the side, and you you engage in your combat side now uh, i'm really curious where this game is going to go moving forward i don 't know if that makes yeah, sense, yeah,
1: the big difference I think that uh, I love new Monera a lot um, when I decided to be a gm like uh, we talked about this not too long ago where, we, where I was like, okay, a couple years ago I was trying to find a group, couldn't find one, and then made the decision after watching videos of like Matt Coville and Adam Coble and say just be a DM, you know, just, just be your own GM and then you can, you can play games. And I was like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, I was looking at Dungeons & Dragons um, and I had come from 3.5, which was a pretty complicated system to learn. But then I also started seeing New Numenera quite a bit. And what I liked about it was it was a system that was easy to teach new people. It was a narrative-driven system, mm-hmm. and it had this one feature in it that really drew me: is that the GM doesn't roll dice. Mm-hmm. So in combat, what I liked about it was very interesting: was that if I want my NPC to try to hit Jordan, Jordan is going to roll I'll try to move out of the way. So yeah. he, so Jordan, uh, gets like to a roll. defensive, it's always rolling. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and what it did is it allows the gm to focus more on keeping the pacing and not slowing the game down to say okay uh, jordan uh, archer number 1 shoots an arrow at you it got a 15 what's your ac okay uh, archer number 2 shoots at you jordan but then uh, swordsman number 4 goes after johnny and swordsman number whatever goes after this person like and i'm doing mm-hmm. a bunch it's like i'm playing so much and you guys are just waiting for me to finish that piece Whereas I didn't get that when I played Numenera. I had a, a a group of bandits attack my party that I ran the game on, and it was just like, hey, this bandit comes running at you, waving his thing, he's going to hit you. Roll a defense, you know, and they're mm-hmm. like, okay. And then it's like, okay, this guy's going to come here, so you can really focus on it. But I do believe you're right in the idea that there's a lot more narrative checks to it as far as against your own skills, your yeah. three skills. Um, and it is a different system, but it is still a difficulty because you're doing... There, there is a difficulty that's being set. You can take it down by using some of your points to yeah, um, which is you called know, lower the like difficulty. You have yep. Effort
0: that you can, you have you have a pool of points that you can put into rolls to try and make it easier to succeed. Um, yeah. But you have to do that before you roll, so right. you can't like roll miss and then be like, oh, I applied two levels of effort to like succeed. Yeah. Um, which is and kind then of did they do a
1: GM intrusion? Was the other really cool mechanic of the mm. game? Did he do a GM intrusion? Yeah, so he, no, he intrusion. didn't do that. Um, okay. He got a G- he got a free GM intrusion
0: because somebody, somebody rolled, rolled a nat one. That one. Um, but what a GM intrusion basically is is they get a special. Uh, well they get an intrude in the game so like if you succeed he could stop you and and correct me if i'm wrong lucian but like if you succeed he could stop you and say you don't actually succeed i'm intruding on this for the sake of making the story go in the direction he wants it to go um, but whenever he does that he hands out experience points so that's how well, you get experience yeah. if is if that's how you level up and get experiences by the gm basically like screwing you over yeah. so to speak yeah the
1: way it's described in the book is that um, as if things are going really well for the characters, like all your roles are hitting, all of your plans are working just a little too well, you can offer in a GM intrusion to add in a complication. Yeah. Right? And so the idea is the player can accept it or reject it, which is really interesting. Now, if you accept it, you get the XP for yourself and you get to give one to somebody else mm-hmm. in the group. So it's a mechanic way to say oh, do we want to do it? Because you want to level up, right? You want to get your character skills higher. You want to get to the next tiers and you want to get your next ability. So you're always wondering, oh, sh- do I want to do it? Do I want to take that intrusion? Or no, 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 this is too crucial of a moment. I don't want to do that. And then on a one, that also can happen uh, with a GM intrusion. So it's like, a, it's it's adding a complication. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that you don't do something, but there's probably a consequence to what you did. Okay, right? so, yeah. So maybe you got what you wanted, But now there's a bad thing about you got it, but here's what's wrong. Like, oh, you were able to hit that guy, but now you made a ton of noise and you hear the boots of other soldiers Mm -hmm. coming, like you've alerted somebody else. So you got what you wanted, but then there's a complication. Or like I
0: hooked up the electricity to the machine and got it running, but there's sparks flying, so now there's fires I have
1: to put out or something. Right, right, add a complication in. So it's a lot about let the players do what they're trying to do when they make those Mm rolls. But also, if it goes bad, give them a complication of what it is. And then sometimes it is. Like, you just drop your weapon or you don't do it or something. But you kind of sparse that in. So it's a really interesting system. Um, I find it really fun. And it is very different than Dungeons & Dragons too. I think, because... The characters are very different. The character sheets look very different. Um, are you in the Numenera setting, or is he using a medieval setting but Numenera rules?
0: No, we're in a Numenera setting. So oh, there's so like that's even cool. Yeah, yeah. So Numenera is like the the ninth age or the ninth world. Ninth um, world. Yep. And there's been like eight other worlds before this or eight other like time periods of of civilizations that have risen and fallen so there's all this weird technology that they call Numenera and that technology can appear like magic because it's so far advanced but nobody really knows how it works anymore so my character has a um, cybernetic arm that he got through touching some weird metal that like has assimilated itself onto his arm and given him um, extra strength because of it. But I have to like repair my arm with tools and things like that. So yeah, we're the in the Numenera setting is really interesting because I read a little bit about the cipher system and what's the other game that he has that's in the cipher system.
1: The strange, the
0: strange. That's the one that I thought was really interesting where you could shift from present day to medieval times to like the future, I think. Yep. Um, so that one was really interesting. But Numenera is its own encapsulated little thing. And it's it's interesting so far. I mean, we were on a Numenera ship sailing in the water that had basically these electrified uh, sails that would would push us along whether there was wind or not. And so it was this weird technology that would work and nobody really knew how it worked or how to like repair it. Except um, we had a, a Nano, one of the characters you can play as a Nano, and he knew enough about a Numenera to, like, repair our sails and stuff. So it was really, really interesting. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's, it's a an system. elegant it's... system. I'll say that. Like, I don't know if it's my favorite error by any means, but it's an elegant system because of the it's so easy to pick up and I was so nervous, but about halfway through the game, I'm like, Oh, I get it now. Like I have these pool of points. I can apply effort. The DM tells me, Hey, this is a challenge rating five. I have to basically roll uh, above a certain amount to, to get that number. Um, and it's cool. So, and I like the story. Um, unmade gaming is the guy, his name's Michael and he's our DM and he loves Numenera. So he's really excited to continue along this path. Um, and he's got a whole, eight week nine week story plan for us so it'll yeah. be a lot of fun
1: yeah i really like it um and the tie-in to D and D, this is the interesting thing so some of you might be out there and say hey wait a minute this is the dungeons and dragons show why are we talking about numenera, <laughs> numenera is is made by monty cook And Monty Cook did a ton of design in 3.5 and 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Mm -hmm. So this is the guy that was coming up with places like Tolis, the the setting for Tolis. Um, A lot of the Planescape kind of stuff worked on a lot of these other things that were Dungeons & Dragons related. And so that same mind is bringing in, you know, was built Numenera, uh, the strange was done by Bruce Cordell, another person that was, you know, with TSR for a while, and then uh, Wizards of the Coast, and then um, they've even got a few more that are coming out. Like Predation is one about dinosaurs and technology, and um, there and there's one about the gods fall, um, which is about gods that have been brought down from the heavens, are now walking among earth, and they're trying to find their way back up. So there's like a lot of these set. And Cipher is how to run the system, no matter what genre. You yeah. Want you want to play superhero. You want to play medieval, you want to play historic, you want to play Wild West, whatever it is, here's the rules to play that. So it's a really cool system. I think it's super fun. And I'm going to have more of it on my channel, too, because I I really Mm. like it a lot. And then I completely
0: forgot. I played um, immediately following the Saturday Morning D&D show last week. I played a Dungeon Crawl Classics game with um, our friend Lex, who uh, was the co-host of the show when Sir Lucian couldn't make it that one day. And he was the DM of this Dungeon Crawl Classics. And I guess um, going back to Numenera, like that system is so different, but it, I feel like it's... Okay, where are my words? I feel like it's diff- difficult to make a new dice rolling system. Because we kind of already have this Dungeons and Dragons, you know, you roll the hit. Do I hit? Yes or no? There you go. Numenera did a really good job of that by having just the players roll for defensive rolls and things like that. But you're still, you're rolling a d20, you know, like how can you reinvent the wheel? We were playing Dungeon Crawl Classics, which was basically like watered down D&D. And so it felt a lot more familiar to me. Like when we, and that was another system that I'm like, I don't know anything about this system, but I know enough about Dungeons and Dragons that I'm like, oh, we're in combat now. Oh, we're doing this and this and this. But, um, and uh, <laughs> somebody in chat says, DCC is my favorite. And I'm starting to think it's uh, part of my favorite too, because Dungeon Crawl Classics, you start at level with level zero characters. So Lex said, make four characters and then be prepared that they're going to die. Uh, which I thought was kind of morbid and interesting that you're doing this survival of the fittest for these characters that you create. So we gave them all like funny names and um, the character creation was completely random. Like you roll on tables to make all of these characters um, and then you turn around and you see who survives and it's really just luck. Like, and I was really upset because by the very end and you can watch this too, Lex put it up on his, um, youtube channel or if you go I to it
1: live it was super fun yeah
0: or if you, thank you or if you go to my youtube channel it's there's a playlist called live games with jordan and it's in there but um we started out i started out with four characters i think i found another one so i had about five characters um but it was down to the last two and we just defeated the like super end boss And then we had to run away, but the temple we were in was, like, collapsing, and both of my guys rolled, like, I think one rolled a two and the other rolled a four to avoid the debris of the collapsing temple, and they both died. So I didn't even, like, make it out alive, which I was really upset about. Um, But we got (laughs) super attached to these characters, and I gave them stupid names like Keith and William, but, like, the chat at the
1: end was just like, Keith, no! And I'm like, oh, my God! So we were into it. That... To me, what makes that DCC super fun also was chat seemed really involved in that game. And Mm -hmm. I felt like the players were in chat at the same time. And it felt like a really fun game. I don't know how it would work with like a long campaign, but like what you guys did is a show where there's a couple of episodes or, or even a one shot. Um, and a lot of people use that term, the funnel, that's where you always see this, this term that you just hadn't, I hadn't seen in anything until I started looking at DCC stuff, which is the funnel. And, uh, it's, it's a classic dungeon delve game and you're right, stripped down to be, Hey, we're just dungeon delving, you know, this is it, this is all we're doing. And it was fun. It was, I, it was a funny game in a fun game, not taking itself too seriously. I think that's yeah. what made it really good.
0: I definitely wanted to keep playing. Like I had I wished one of my characters survived so that we could then be like, okay, now they're level one. And what does that mean? And what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, because I was really yeah. curious. Like you have to keep these stats that you have, but like when I'm level one, level one, what does that mean? And level one characters can start to choose classes and you can, and you can pick abilities. And so um, I'm gonna have to read more about Dungeon Crawl Classics because that could be... Those those uh those days that I can't actually play D and D, I might invite some friends over and say, roll some dungeon crawl classic characters and let's just play through, play through something. So
1: yeah, that that sounds super fun too. Yep.
0: Because again, I'm not playing D and D this weekend because of the Oscars. My my players want to watch the Oscars rather than uh, play Dungeons and Dragons, which I'm like, you're you're crazy. You can like <laughs> TiVo the the Oscars. You're crazy. Yeah, but I so can read about no D and D this week which is a little sad, but.
1: And, and no Adventure League either then, right? Or you yeah, going to try Adventure I, League this week?
0: Um, I'll probably try to go this upcoming week, but no, I didn't make it to Adventures League this week. Um, although I I really want to, like I'm having a lot of fun. Oh, and I, I got recognized at Adventures League. So somebody was like, uh, you remind me of a YouTuber. And I was just like, is his name Jordan with a PH? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and so this guy was just like, I totally watch your videos. I'm like, that's awesome. So it was really cool.
1: Did he have you sign anything? Because that would have been the real. No,
0: I'm not. I'm not. uh, No, I'm not popular enough to have anything signed. And if anybody asked me to sign their like player's handbook or something, I'd be like, are you you're crazy here? Like, I'll I'll sign this piece of paper if you want. But like, I'm not going to tarnish your player's handbook with my handwriting. But it was really fun. Um, but I am enjoying Adventures League the more I go. I'm kind of getting, like, familiar with the players that are there. So it's not just like, oh, this is the weird new guy. Like, I now know these people, and we've been playing games together. And that's what games do. Like, the more you play, the more you get that camaraderie and stuff with people, which is kind of fun. Um, but I want to level up. Like, I'm playing a bard. I'm level two, and I want to be level three so I can do my College of Swords and actually use, like, the abilities that I'm really excited about. But that would be... That would be fun, but boy, it's a slow process of leveling up in Adventures League. So, especially when you have like eight people at a table, or not eight, but like seven people at a table, um, you divide the experience points between everybody there. So, like... uh, Well,
1: right, slow if you go to one game a week, right? But you could go to another game store or to a game store that has three or four of them in a week. Yeah. And if you're like, hey, you're on your summer break or something, you're just hanging out. I bet you could get a character leveled pretty quick. That's if true. You I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind that. I I should see because I've got uh, there's a town
0: that's close to my town and it's actually I live on the border of it. So I kind of go to this other town's game store, but I should see about the other game stores and see if they play during the week. And then I could double dip in Adventures League, which would be kind of fun. Yeah.
1: And I think it's legal to play online too. So if you can find a Roll20 game that's playing Adventure League, that's just as legal as being sitting at the table. You can run an Adventures League game. So like I, I can run an Adventures League game. You can bring your character in and that counts. Yeah. Even if it's with your friends. It doesn't have to just be with random people. It can be with your friends. It can be with people at a game store. It can be with people at conventions. It can be online. So it's really cool.
0: Yeah. No, it's fun. I am enjoying it more and more. It makes me like uh, it makes me want to play more characters. And uh, Lucian and I were talking about this right before the, we started, where I was bored yesterday, and so I started making new characters. Um, and I made a kobold rogue last night, and it makes me wonder if I don't understand why more people haven't played a kobold rogue, or like why it's not like a broken class, because kobolds have pack tactics. So when you're next to somebody. You also get sneak attack, but you get pack tactics, which allows you to have advantage on the attack roll, so you can really, like, crit fish with a kobold rogue and try to get all of those um, awesome critical sneak attack damage.
1: Yeah, if you want to see it in action, uh, Distracted Elf from the game that Blue Jay, who had mentioned oh, okay. your channel, uh, her the other person in her party is playing a kobold rogue. okay. Um, and is doing that, is doing the the crit fishing. Oh stuff. man, yeah.
0: it just seems so much fun. And I've never really wanted to play a rogue until I made that character. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and Graybeard like points funny out. Too. Go All ahead.
1: Right. Well, I think it's funny too that you had mentioned I was bored and I made a character, and last night I was bored and I made another campaign idea. Oh. So like I keep making <laughs> more and more ideas about. Oh, I want to do a campaign about this. And I'm yeah. like
0: Oh no, I want to do a campaign about this. <laughs> no, whenever I make my Forgotten Realms explain videos, I come away with a new campaign um idea. Oh, yeah. And there was one specifically like I I think I was talking about um oozes i did a video on oozes and stuff and then i'm like what about like a sentient ooze that could shape change into creatures and then i'm like that just sounds like a great villain and so i started like writing down like no and then the players could go here and they could go here and i made this fun well half i about half done of a one shot based on like a sentient ooze monster um that could shape change into like different people um so kind of like a doppelganger but yeah. and and worships uh Zagut Moy, the, like, the lord demon prince of oozes and things like that
1: yeah well like your your um, sorry somebody's
0: gonna call me out on i have to correct myself otherwise i'm gonna Uh get a whole bunch of youtube comments
1: jewie Blix, (laughs) not (laughs) zagat uh your last video this past week um which were the two gods again it was malar and
0: uh mask malar mask
1: and malar was the one where you talked about um possibly like having an evil druid right yeah yeah yeah. The funny thing is, in my Borderlands campaign, um, that's a motif that is happening a little bit in that. And and when you said Malar, I thought, oh, that's that fits in perfectly with this. Because I kind of created that character without realizing what would the deity be that they would worship. Right. And then your video came right at the right time to say, oh perfect it now fits in because i (laughs) wanted to do an evil druid i thought what would an evil druid be like you know what is the mindset of that person what are they doing and how does the players come up against it what are you know how does that all unfold and i've got this really cool thing that's going now and it's it's based on an evil druid so it's pretty cool so oh man one of my (laughs) fourth
0: edition games had an evil druid in it named Rabat, and he was a he would change into frogs and toads and stuff and I was like, I thought I was so clever with that name when I finally wrote it. And then my my party or my players all groaned at the table. They were like, really? And I'm like, <laughs> well, I name. thought it was clever and funny. <laughs> but he was an evil druid. And now that's an interesting see, see, archetype because there are not a lot of evil druids. Like they want to preserve nature. So you're tapping into this magic to in a destructive way which is
1: interesting so yeah yeah very interesting well i did notice you had one more note there um you talked about do you use miniatures or tokens in your online game and i think that was spawned because you were talking about the that game you played was a theater of the mind Numenera game 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 was
0: entirely theater of the mind and i'm realizing that i like miniatures like i like being able to see the tactics of the board and so i don't know yeah i wanted to talk to you about Um, have you, do you, have you played theater of the mind? Do you prefer it? Do you like having your roll 20 game mat?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm experimenting with both in roll 20. Even, um, I'm experimenting with always creating a map, putting everybody's tokens on and letting them move around. And I've also experimented with just putting a splash screen and then just saying, Hey, this is what's going on and explaining all of it. Yeah. And it's, you know, what it reminds me of is our discussion when we talked about, the the idea of having a game every week versus having a game every couple of weeks, there's pluses and minuses to both, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's things I like about miniatures and tactical combat, but that slows combat down, right? Because everybody's being really careful about where they're moving. There's a lot of more Mm decision-making going on, but if you're okay with that and that's the game you want, then it's perfectly fine theater of the mind is great about cinematic fights or fights that you think about when you read a book or you watch a movie. Whereas the ones that are on the mat and token moving, those don't normally work out to be like movie fights or, or, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings kind of fights. Right. It just doesn't happen that way. It's, it's more gritty. It's more real. It's more tactical. It's more like a street fight than it is a, a you know, a. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon fight.
0: Now, do you think that's because everybody is picturing the fight in their brain? And when they yeah. when they don't have to do that, they let go of those, I don't know, yeah, like uh, colorful words to describe their attacks? Because yeah, yeah. I've had and games where people have had very descriptive ways of how they're attacking and things like that. And I've also had combat where it's just like, all right, I'm going to move 10 feet and I'm going to attack him. So, right. but, um, I, I strictly use miniatures on our game. Like, uh, my party loves it or, you know, so.
1: Yeah. I think it's good if you can keep it streamlined and, and I like it, um, a lot because a lot of abilities rely on it, especially in Dungeons and Dragons, because you have things that are like 20 foot arcs or 30 foot cones or this kind of stuff. So you're really thinking in a grid anyways, but like in Numenera, a lot of that stuff, they don't have a grid. Yeah. Right. No. So they just talk about something that's close you know, far or, you know, there's like three ranges that yeah. things can be in. And it's just, it's kind of arbitrary. It's yeah. kind of it wishy-washy. But in my Numenera game, we did use a map. We did use tokens and we did move people around. Hmm. Um, and so it worked out just like a d d game. If you put a map on there and tokens down, it feels just like that. I, there is a difference to how the game goes. But with um, Theater of the Mind, which is... You notice Critical Role has switched, right? Critical Role for the longest time in last season was mostly theater of the mind with every now and then bringing out a set piece for fights. This year, every single episode, I think he's brought out a table to play on. They put their miniatures down and they're a lot more tactical moving around and doing stuff this year. So even Critical Role has looked at the idea of theater of the mind versus actual combat on a map. And they're they're experimenting too. I think what it is is depends on what group you're with. It depends what you, you like. Um, you're going to find the one that you like. And I think there's groups out there for both. And I think it has you know pluses and minuses for each one of them.
0: I bet Critical Role is doing that though because they've got they've got the money now. Like I wonder if that's what it is because
1: I bet they don't uh, even have to buy that.
0: Yeah, probably not. It's just like I hey, bet will Forge you World our or whoever's building those yeah. is
1: giving them all that stuff.
0: That's possible. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I think somebody in yeah. chat said you need to have a, or you need to trust your DM. Greybeard said, you need to trust your DM with theater of the mind. And it reminds me again, I've got, there are two GMs that I've played with at adventures league. And one of them is strictly theater of the mind. And the other one is, um, he has a battle grid and I much prefer the battle grid mostly because the theater of the mind guy, he's not, he's good at explaining things, but I think having seven people at the table, it's hard to keep everything tracked in your brain. And I get very confused and lost. And there was a day where he was trying to describe like, there's a pit here. And if you walk forward 10 feet, there's a door. And I, I flat out just told him, I'm like, I'm really sorry. I, I don't know anything. Like, can you show us a map or something? And so he did, he's like brought out the book. He kind of hid the pages where there would be spoilers. Um, And and gave us like a uh, a little brief glimpse at the map, which helped so much because I was just completely lost.
1: Yeah. So the the drawback with I think with theater of the mind is the the GM that's doing it has to be very good at spatial awareness Mm -hmm. and has to be very good at communicating that to the people that are around the table and keep it all in mind, like you said. So I have done a couple of them um, in both of our campaigns. In Storm King's Thunder, I've done it. I've done it um, in both ways. And it takes some time to be able to figure out when you've got 20 orcs that are moving all around and everybody's shooting arrows left and right and things are charging and and you don't have a grid to keep that all on track, but you got to keep it in your head. Um, but then also with a big map, one of the things I had trouble with a map was it. my map is great when they're not moving very much, but like on a running battle or a battle where the ranger wants to use their 400 feet of distance to shoot at something. Yeah. We can't put a 400 foot squared out yeah. map on our table at all. And so if that, if you get into a running battle or a chasing battle, you almost have to kind of go to theater of the mind cuz you don't unless you i guess you have a rolling <laughs> map that you made on your table somehow which that would be kind of That cool. is
0: your million dollar idea sir. <laughs> you need to invent that and start <laughs> put miniatures on little wheels so as you roll it that's terrain changes but they stay in the center. Yeah. Magnets yeah. or something so, that would be amazing.
1: But it definitely <laughs> to me slows combat down some Yeah, And I don't want to make that sound like that's a bad thing. If you like combat and you like to be that tactical, like if you go back to the days of playing battle tech on the tabletop in the old school days, one turn took like four hours to get through and everybody that was playing that loved it. Yeah. We would play one night. We would play one round. We'd leave it all set up, come back the next week, play round number two because it took so long to do everything, but we loved it. So if you, if you like that, it's great, but you know, check your players. You never know what your table might like or might not like as far as try them out, you know, play around with them and see what you can yeah. do.
0: And then maybe I just haven't had the right DM for this, but I I feel like Dungeons and Dragons lends itself to having miniatures a lot better than uh or it almost is a necessity in a, in some cases. And you it, it's not because if you have the right DM you can do theater of the mind, but in a, in a system compared to Numenera, where you just said, there's no, there's no like, Oh, this is 10 feet away or 20 feet away. This is either close or near or far. I forget the, the phrases, but you just have words that describe that. So you can say like, Oh no, you're close. And then I know that I can melee hit it. Or it's like, Oh no, it's far. And then I know I can ranged hit it, um, or attempt to try and attack it through the range. So. Hey, indoor adventurer for subscribing with Twitch prime. That's awesome
1: nice i'll be contacting you today <laughs> good job yeah so thank um, you. yeah so i definitely wanted to talk to you about that because I, I saw that note and i thought yeah i've been but i've been experimenting to the point i don't know i can say one is better than the other i don't think one is better than the other do you prefer one think, or the other or is i'm just... tactical i'm okay. super war game miniature game tactical guy Um, so I want to do that all the time the only reason I'm leaning towards Theater of the Mind as a GM though is because it takes so much prep every single week to set the map up and if you're going to run two or three games in a week now that's two or three tactical maps you have to come up with every single week and it starts to get quite a bit you know. so I wanted to do Theater of the Mind to ease up some prep at time so that I could then go back to big set pieces where we would have a map and I think that's where i'm leaning towards this this idea of some things can be theater of the mind to keep things moving and i don't need to do a lot of prep and Mm -hmm. then let's do the big battles with here's everybody's token and let's see what happens
0: cool well um we're kind of coming up at the end of our show i think uh are there any questions in the chat you guys want to ask us and we can maybe answer some questions for the next five or
1: eight minutes yeah, and while we're looking through there, uh, uh, yeah, it was Indoor Adventurer. Thanks for the the subscription. This week, if you subscribe to the channel, I'm going to be contacting you to see if you want to play in a one-shot. It doesn't have to be on the channel. It can be offline, so you don't have to worry about having a camera or anything like that. But it's a Roll20 one-shot D&D 5th edition game, so I'll be seeing if you want to get in on that. And if anybody else wants to, go ahead and subscribe to the channel, and I'll be contacting you also. Yeah, Question-wise, it's a lot of good comments about this is how I do stuff and this is what I like, and, I, yeah. and that's all really good stuff. Like 20-Sided is putting a bunch of stuff out there. I see Cyberwolf is pretty active, and Indoor Adventure just joined. El uh, Racy was here. El Racy, welcome. She is uh, – I used to run an um, ARC Survival Evolved server, and we used to do a bunch of YouTube videos about ARC Survival Evolved, and she was from that, and she ran her own server. She's really, really cool person. Good to see she's in the channel. I'm looking for questions. I don't know. Are you see anything we missed? No, I
0: just love 20 sides, 20 sides to every story. You were saying you love theater of the mind because when it's done correctly, um, you get a lot of back and forth between the players and the DM. And, and I was like, maybe that's just it. Like I'm not, I'm not particularly good at running theater of the mind. So that's why I don't like it slash. I haven't had that amazing DM yet. That is describing the scene so well, you know? Although Michael from Unmade Gaming, he did a really good job with our Numenera game. So maybe I'll learn some new stuff from him. So,
1: yeah. I see a question there. Favorite NPC you either made up as a DM or encountered as a player? It Sounds like a question we've been asked before, but I I think we both had an answer. We'll see if it's the same. What NPC in your game from your your campaign is your Um, favorite?
0: And yeah, I think we've been asked this before, but the answer was I made a... um, I made this aquatic uh, druid dwarf that uh, was trying to mine the ocean floor. And that was his goal was he wanted to figure out a way of mining the ocean floor. And he was a druid, so he could turn into octopuses and stuff, or octopi, oct- octopuses, oh, nice. and like swim down to the bottom and use all of his tentacles to try and like mine and stuff. So he hired my adventurers for that. So
1: That's cool. Yeah, that's mine we was, um, we, create, we were in our game that you were playing with me, which mm-hmm. was the McLancy Waddle um, one shot that turned into three or four sessions. Yeah, which yeah. Is really fun. <laughs> um, but it was Sparrow, the the young kid who wanted to be a bard and was following the party around, um, and it, I just enjoyed the idea of how the party had to try to deal with a super precocious, super energetic kid. In our eyes, but in like in a medieval world. You know a fourteen year old is out adventuring a fifteen year old is out trying to kill goblins or whatever mm-hmm. that's very different than what what we think of it is in our world. So when I put that kid out there as a he wants to be a bard and he's you know like that twelve year old and he follows you guys up the road and then stuff happens. he gets kidnapped at the end cliffhanger at the end of the session. <laughs> I was like, I just love that character of putting something that the players had to invest a lot of thought into how, how do we deal with this? What do we do here? What's our, what's our moral standing? What's the right thing to do? You know, that whole thing was really fun for me. So that was definitely my answer for that. So Sparrow, the, the young aspiring bard character, a 12 year old in the, in the game. That was a good one. And 20 Um, sides to every story. Thanks for the bits. That's awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Thank you very much. Um, Least favorite rule as a DM or most problematic rule as a DM.
0: We need to get you the little like pop-up notifications or something. Or do you have those?
1: No, they're on. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I guess running. I'm not watching. watching on Twitch, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're running. Um, That's super what fun. What rule do we hate? Didn't we just talk about a rule that we we probably both disagreed on, I thought. A rule that we hate? I don't think so.
0: I'm trying to think of something.
1: No, we disagreed on prep time. Or no, uh. improvising improv that's what it was that's what it was but you're the theater guy so you're like yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) you should just improv all the time (laughs) the
0: grapple always i guess grapple Grapple is something that frustrates me because i always have to like look it up um and my players always seem to think it either does more or less than it actually does and when monsters grapple They're always like, well, can I attack if I'm grappled? Because you think the idea like your arms are all tied up and you're grappled. So off the top of my head, that's something that frustrates me. But I I don't necessarily hate it. So, Yeah, I like the
1: older rules of grappling. Though they were more complicated, they covered more situations. And they did exactly what you just said met the expectations of what the player is trying to do because mm-hmm. the player's mind is i'm wrapping them up like a you know an mma fighter right. type thing but the rules are i'm grabbing your cloak and you can't run away from me and that's as far as your grapple has gone yeah. we both can flail at each other we both can do stuff i'm just making it show you can't run away as all that's happened but
0: i think point. with that same grapple check you can move them like you can, try. you can move them around. Oh, is it, is it a strength check, a check to see if you can make it? Yeah. Cause then you could also move them prone, I believe. Right. And so, you know. and then their speed is zero. So they can't get back up if they're like grappled prone and you can right. do all this extra, have advantage against them and things
1: like that. So the, I think that the rules definitely could be more concise. I, I actually, the rule that I wish that was a little bit better was mounted combat. We get it a lot in the campaign I'm running now And I just watched, they just talked about uh, mounted combat rules this last week in D&D, and it felt more clarified, but it still doesn't feel like it's the impact of a um, person on a horse charging down their target, hitting them with their weapon on a full run. And those mechanics just aren't quite there, but I realize why they do it. You can't make, you know, simulation-style rules for everything that's out there. You want the game to be streamlined. You want it to work for all campaigns. But I wish mounted combat rules we're a little bit stronger. Yeah. I think a little bit more willing to do them. And then people would want to do them more. All right. So there's lots of good questions, but I think we're getting close to the end of our show. Yeah. you think Jordan.
0: No, I think we're good. Um, Thank you guys so much for coming out and watching us. Um, Also thanks to uh, Ella Racy or Racy for subscribing yeah, with her Twitch or his Twitch Prime, his or her Twitch Prime, sorry. Yeah, but uh, that's awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, it's really cool to support Lucian's channel and and support the Saturday Morning d and show in general. So it's awesome. Um, I just want to say thanks again for coming out uh, for our humble little channel. It's really awesome that you guys are here, despite not having a Matt Colville. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hopefully we were... Half as entertaining. Half How, as entertaining you know, as A we, quarter as yeah, entertaining yeah. as him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and again, if you want to catch us, you can always catch us live here because I saw some people show up a little later. Um, we're live at 12 p.m. Eastern every Saturday morning, and uh, you can catch the VOD on my channel on YouTube on every Monday morning, so I'll release it there. Any final thoughts you have, Mr.
1: Lucian? No, I can't wait for this week to get back into more Dungeons & Dragons and game playing. Lots more stuff coming up on the channel. And I'm super happy everybody joined today and all the support that we got. It's super glad to be able to do it. We're humbled, and I can't wait. Oh, yeah, for sure. Keep doing this i love the saturday morning show
0: cool well thanks again guys uh we will see you next week with uh more exciting stuff about the saturday morning DD show maybe some more um special guest hosts we're gonna or not guest hosts but um special guests so we're in the works with talking with some people to have them as um, guests again on the channel so that should be a lot of fun and until then like have a great week and we'll see you next weekend bye guys bye bye. see ya